Simpleton Podcast, the most popular podcast in eternity. Good bum, to see bum, you, Laura Heeman. <laughs> hey, Clark. <laughs> Laura coming from Hyattsville, Maryland, and me coming from my wood shop in Kansas City. All right. We have a big show for you today. Um, let's first talk about our last show, or two shows ago now, the Roe v. Wade podcast. That, for us, went viral. Um, we talked about signs of Catholic persecution, Roe v. Wade. It was gaining hundreds of views in a few hours. Um, in a few some, hours? In a few days. In a few hours? It went viral. Yeah. Well, I noticed that between like 12 o'clock and 5 o'clock, it had gotten a couple hundred views. Okay. One day. Yeah. yeah. Um, the funny thing about it, though, is that it stopped at about 520 views and almost getting zero views now, like not growing at all. So it looks like it kind of went viral and then somebody like downranked it or something like mm. this or a little bit squashed it. So does that mean your, we got does that mean we got watched enough to bother YouTube? Who we're going to bother. We're, our goal is to get canceled because then we'll be really popular. That's how it's like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you kill me and I shall be stronger, right? So uh, just keep an eye on that. Um, that kind of increases the importance that if you like the podcast, if you're one of the saints in eternity who likes our podcast, you should share it with your people. Um, all right. Are we ready to signpost this episode? Go for it. We just had the Simple House Revival. I want to talk about Flannery O'Connor and Dostoevsky and my new baby who has the name of Flannery. And we want to talk about this Catholic moment in our culture. This is where we get deep. We're going to do Tim Dillon was on the Joe Rogan podcast talking about the popularity of Catholicism. The New York Times said Catholicism is the hottest nightclub in New York City. We've got Shia LaBeouf uh, talking to Bishop Barron. A lot of people taking a lot of interest in that. Uh, podcast, and then we have people posing with their firearms and wrapping them in rosaries, and the Atlantic article saying the rosary is an extremist item. All of this to be covered about the ca possible Catholic moment in pop culture right now. Let's go. Let's, Let's get into it. it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. We just had the Simple House Revival. Revival is a term we use for August gathering where we get the whole community together. We bring all the new missionaries in, and it's also a training. So it's like a time where, you know, the D.C. and K.C. community bond and we train. And our training is different than most evangelization institutes. I think it's got a very different point and flavor to it. Mm -hmm. We are trying to be kind of the anti-apologist way of doing missionary work and the anti-proselytizing way of doing missionary work. We're trying to be like truly evangelical, like truly give people gospel. You know, you're not defending anything. You're trying to wake them up to something. You know, yeah, and with that, we do theology in our training, but the goal is not theology. The goal is to have relate is always relationship, relationship with God. You know, yeah. And the thing with theology is when your faith is kind of in a theological formation and centered there, there will come the person who's smarter than you, who has the argument that is better than yours that you won't be able to see an error in, you know? Yeah. And at that moment, do you lose faith? Do you doubt? Or do you be like, oh, I don't know the answer, but your faith is intact. Yeah. You know? So we're trying to get people to that point in their faith. And this is a point we all need to get to because we're all going to end up having dementia. We're all going to end up having Alzheimer's. We're all going to end up fading intellectually. 
and our faith needs to be um, as rock solid then as it is now. Right. Yeah. I, I think part of the training that's important is like knowing even what is the good news in your life? How is the good news active in your life? And I think there's a lot of intellectual people that can't answer that most, you know, like very basic question. Um, and, and say it in a relatable yeah. way that makes you more human. That's not yeah. just like academic. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you also want to do it where like, why do you know God's love? Do you know God's love because of a theological proof or do you know God's love the same way you know your mother's love? Yeah. You know, yeah. you could argue about your mother's love. You could do things like this or a parent's love in general, but like you kind of know it because of experience. Yeah. So we're trying to get faith at that level. And in my mind, uh, this is what the new evangelization was. It's interesting because mm -hmm. Laura, you and I are now so old that we say things like new evangelization and the young people have never heard the term. Yeah. Right. Right. It's and a that was like, now. Ooh, what's this new thing? The new evangelization for us. Yeah. Right. Well, it's no longer a new thing. It's now the retro thing. No, that's what I mean for, yes. When we were kind of thinking in the early days of the ministry, it was like, oh, we've landed on this new thing, the new evangelization, you know. And it, I think it is interesting because it felt really important. And uh, I think the way it was interpreted was mostly underwhelming. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I think I think it's not been understood properly. Like, um, mm -hmm. so John Paul II started using the term the new evangelization, and then Pope Benedict kind of unpacked the term. Mm -hmm. And I think the unfortunate thing is when people heard new evangelization, they came to two conclusions. They came to this idea that new evangelization is all this new technology being used in the service of evangelization. It's yeah. not that. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing they thought was there was kind of this youth movement, as there even is today, the Shapey 2 generation, World Youth Day, things like this, that the new evangelization is actually the youth, you know, is actually yeah. this new energy we're putting in. Yeah. It's not that either. Yeah. You know, the new evangelization, according to Benedict, and I think this is exactly what JP2 intentioned, is this like rethinking of the way that we're spreading the truth towards not a defensive stance, not a counter stance to anything, but a truly like, um, I wanted to use the word progressive, but progressive means so many bad things right now. <laughs> it's like truly like um, gospel way of moving people forward, you know? Yeah. I think symbolized by JP2's theology of the body. And what I mean by that is like, we went from like a sexual ethic that was like, don't do this, don't do this. It's really bad if you do this. To mm -hmm. saying, here's the point, here's the goal, here's why. Here's what's better, you know, yeah. and that's the way we need to that. I believe that is the evangelization of the first centuries. Yeah, I, I think another key component was like that the people that we're going to evangelize um, effectively are people that are in living, loving relationship with God. Right. It wasn't like about um, I mean, you, you want right teaching, obviously, but it wasn't about like the best program or the right teaching or whatever. But right. that, that like it was like almost like the, the catechists need um, a renewal as well, you know, the right teaching serves relationship with God. It's not yeah. the other way around, you know, right. and right. it's not right. Teaching's not the goal. It's, it's the mm -hmm. thing that helps us, you know, mm -hmm. on our way. And there's people who are too dumb to get all that right teaching who have an incredible yeah. relationship with God. Yeah. yeah. I just always like, uh, like to tease our friends in religious life that I'm like, you guys are hiring a porter, but there's all these like porter saints in your order, you know? <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, who were too simple or too academically untalented. Um, but. And, 
Pope Benedict said that the new evangelization is the classic evangelization. So mm-hmm. the classic evangelization is what was sometimes referred to as the great evangelization, meaning like that evangelization of the first few centuries where Christianity is mm-hmm. like taking over the ancient world. And that what's interesting about that is um, if you look at that book, The Irish Save Civilization, the very first person to call themselves a missionary and take that as a job title is St. Patrick. Mm-hmm. So the great evangelization happened without missionaries. Yeah. That's a scandal to all of us who are trying to be missionaries. Who are missionaries. It's like an occupational hazard. It's right up there when Jesus (laughs) says, uh, you go across seas to make one convert and you make him twice the son of hell you are. Right? These two verses or these two ideas have to be dealt with by every missionary or you're in grave danger, you know? Yeah. So that's what we're doing in our revival. The other thing is, we have a different outlook on evangelization than the most popular one right now. Um, the most popular outlook right now, I think, is a discipleship model where you're taking people who are more progressed on the way and mm-hmm. they're they're kind of teaching the group that's like behind them, you know? And I don't really have a problem with that model. It's just not our model. Our model is an accompaniment model. And what that would mean is that like you're going and you're relating with this. Like we're often sending like a 22-year-old to go meet a 55-year-old black grandma in the hood, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea that the 22-year-old is going to disciple this black grandma is kind of dumb, you know? And what you end up with is this friendship where the 22-year-old does have something to offer to the extent they've prayed, to the extent that they know God, to the extent they can share something useful, they're evangelizing and giving truth in that relationship. But also this grandmother is giving a tremendous amount of truth and teaching to the other person, yeah. you know, yeah. and they're kind of walking together towards God, right? Yeah. I think we should, I, I thought that um, the way Bishop Barron interviewed uh, Shai. Shia. 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 Le, yeah. LaBeouf. LaBeouf. I thought was a pretty good example of that. Like, here's a guy who studied theology his whole life, has every degree you could possibly have. And like, not just studied theology his whole life, you know, is incredibly talented in it too <laughs> right might be one of the greatest yeah. that you know yeah. theologians alive yeah. today almost certainly is right and but he's letting you know shia make points and like yeah say Give what he really thinks and, yeah mm-hmm. and like yeah. just kind of listening and accepting it all it's not it's not a, mm-hmm. it's not clearly a discipleship relationship it's much yeah. more there's a great distance between these two characters but it's definitely a um an accompaniment type of yeah. conversation they're having you know, accompaniment, accompaniment, uh, I think that is like the newer model. I think it gets a bad rap around here a little bit, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, that is our model. It's a good model. I also like the phrase we've used for a long time, friendship evangelization. And, um, that gives, uh, again, there's not sort of the hierarchy of discipleship, you know? So we do want to yeah. kind of like spend more time on these topics sometime in a podcast, yeah, like talk should, about yeah. some of the main themes from our um, revival. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, that's what revival is. The other yeah. thing revival is, is like this bonding thing. And what we found is dumb <laughs> things happen at revival, okay? If you get 20-somethings, single 20-somethings in a room it's like they're in a competition and they won't admit it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like they need to find out who's the most athletic, who's the most pious, who knows the most about Catholicism. Right. <laughs> and so you're having these like immature, like little like jousting contests when you get a group of 20 somethings together. Mm-hmm. So 
we've been thinking about this for years because it's been bothering me how I see behaviors that are just not worthy of, you know, the situation, right? And no one could admit it. Like no one, everyone's <laughs> also might be like, well, that event sucked. And I'll be like, yeah, tell me why. And they'll tell me something. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, you know? But yeah. most of the time, no one can, no one really admits to themselves that's what they're doing, right? Yeah. What we decided last year at Revival is that we need to start hazing people. <laughs> Not really, but we need yeah. them to have this shared so suffering. Too much competition. Event. Let's let's put everyone down. You know. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're just going to make you all we'll suffer together. Everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then through this like group humiliation and suffering, you will be bound together, and you'll quit caring about all these more superficial things. So we invented something this summer. Pure stroke of genius. <laughs> it's called. Whose stroke, Who stroke of genius was it, Clark? Uh. Most popular podcast in eternity had the true stroke of genius <laughs> to create Pac-Man IRL. Do you know what IRL stands for? Laura? Yes, yes, Clark. Are you young enough to know what IRL stands for, Laura? <laughs> Are you, Clark? <laughs> of course, I am the hip forty-six-year-old uh, podcast. Oh my All right. gosh! In Are... real life, okay. So what we did was we dressed all the new missionaries and Claire, who's on her second year. Up in inky, blinky, Clyde Sue, pinky costumes. So they're ghosts with big eyeballs on the front and their name on the back, right? All different colors. We got an old missionary to come back as ghost headquarters supervisor, Amanda Pence. Uh, people might know her because she visits a lot of our donors and kind of keeps people mm -hmm. up to date on the ministry. And then we had all the old heads, Chelsea, I, and Margot, dress in Pac-Man costumes. And we went downtown on a <laughs> grid that was about like half a mile by half a mile and played Pac-Man in real life. So we'd, we'd release a Pac-Man and every two minutes a ghost gets released and they're running to try to find, locate Pac-Man, communicate on their walkie-talkies and bring the rest of the ghost gang in to corner Pac-Man, right? Um, unfortunately, Pac-Man lost. There were no power pellets. It was unfair. Yeah. A lot of unsportsmanlike. No, it was great. Uh, everyone was completely <laughs> gassed by the end. Uh, we kept introducing new Pac-Man. We let um, Was there Nash. running or was this like walking Pac-Man? What, what? I was the first Pac-Man. I made it every, we needed to run about 14 miles or 12 miles with very little overlap to clear yeah. the board. And okay. um, so minimal overlap would be about a 12 mile run, right? And we had three Pac-Man <laughs> lives. Yeah. So each Pac-Man would probably need to run four miles-ish to win, you know? And that would be assuming yeah. you didn't have to backtrack a lot, right? Yeah. So I only made it like a mile and a half um, oh, okay. running. I ran, mm -hmm. I ran basically the whole way. And yeah. then I got run down. But what was happening was we saved Margot for the end, and she's kind of the best runner out of us. Yeah. And uh, the ghosts were slowing down. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, like Chelsea and I wore them out. And so Margo made a, more than a couple miles, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then we just started letting other people be Pac-Man just because the game, we hadn't sufficiently hazed the ghost. I, I started calling myself the dungeon master, like the guy who can like change rules in the game while yeah, you're playing yeah. the game, you know? Yeah. So I'd get on the walkie talkie and tell them the new rule, you know, to make it harder. <laughs> So we're going to have some photos of that. I think they went out on social media, but they're also going to be in the next newsletter, which you should be receiving very soon. Well, that's that segment. Shall we go on to Flannery O'Connor and Theodore Dostoevsky? Yeah. All right.
my wife and I just had a baby, very beautiful little girl, and we knew it was a girl, and I was really, you know, working hard to name this girl Flannery. Whenever I would mention this to people, I visibly saw people wince at this name. <laughs> and I love my wife so much, and my wife allowed this name to get through. Um, it's a middle name, not a first name. But the reason why I really like, I wanted this name was, I think that Flannery, O'Connor, and Dostoevsky are kind of birds of a feather in a way. And they have all these heroes that are um, deeply flawed and deeply great. Like deeply, like they have, they're, they're big, they have sins that are very notable and they also have supernatural gifts. Mm -hmm. Right. This feels very biblical when you like look at yeah. biblical characters, you yeah. know, but it's something that very much challenges our own mentality, right? Like yeah. Dostoevsky will have a whole scene where the whole point of the scene is that this prostitute prays deeply and beautifully and maybe better than anyone else in the whole town, you yeah. know, but in this kind of like pharisaical moment that I think the church is always tempted to, but maybe right now is tempted more than ever. There's this sense of like, no, 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 no. Right. Like, I rejected Flannery O'Connor for a long time, and I only trust people if they kind of like say, oh, I love Flannery O'Connor, and they look mischievous, or if they yeah. say, I hate Flannery O'Connor. If anyone says, oh, yes, Flannery O'Connor and Dostoevsky, great authors, blah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. of the Catholic right. tradition, I'm like, you don't even know these people. Like, you right, don't. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, there, one of my friend's wives, she was like, I hate Flannery O'Connor, and I was like, I yeah. love that you said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We we had a uh, Flannery hater in one of our book clubs, and it was great, like and necessary. I am a converted yeah. Flannery hater, so okay. the thing that the thing that made me hate her was she wrote the book uh, "The Violent Shall Bear It Away." The violent bear it away, yeah. The violent bear it away. Okay, the book is about this guy who is a prophet, appears to be a real supernatural prophet. He's like in the deep south or something. And he's obsessed with baptizing this kid who's got a disability like Down syndrome. It's not even his kid. And at yeah. some point in the book, he like um, baptizes this kid and drowns this kid and murders him while he's baptizing him. Right. Yeah. And starts a forest fire by the end. <laughs> that's horror. So the whole, whole book is a horror. And that's yeah. what Flannery O'Connor is. She's kind of a horror author. But I thought this is horrible because it doesn't make sense that this man is a prophet because he's not virtuous. Like, why is he getting all these supernatural gifts? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Like the normal Righteous. like logic yeah. is that you, you act virtuously, you piously like apply yourself to certain things, including prayer, and then you get spiritual reward. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't look like the way God works. Right. Except in the Bible, this happens. Like yeah. we can talk about like Balaam's ass. Like this guy's literally a prophet of an idol, but he's also a prophet of the true God. Right. Yeah. There's just all these. And like David is the man after God's own heart, but he's a seriously flawed character also. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this appears to be what God is in a sense. I would say, I believe it appears to be what God's after, but it's also, there's no teaching in the Catholic church about fairness. Yeah. You know, fairness is some weird secular thing almost, yeah. right? Like yeah. God's not fair. He never claimed to right. be fair. Yeah. Um yep. that's a that's a pretty hard truth, right? But it's also pretty cool. 
you don't want God to be fair because if you <laughs> if you have to pay for all your sins in a fair way, you're going to be in yeah, trouble. Yeah, right. I'm, I mean, yeah, and this comes up in multiple ways in the gospel that are disturbing, you know? <laughs> um, right. So I named my daughter Flannery because I wanted her to kind of be a badass who kind of took on this, you know? Um, I wanted her to be a toughie. Uh, I told my friends that I wanted to name her Cruise Missile, but Audrey wouldn't let me, so we named her Flannery. <laughs> I also wanted to call her Holy Terror, but mm -hmm. I feel like Holy Terror translated into a name is Flannery. <laughs> but th there's also this idea of like perspective, right? Like if I yeah. am like a um, middle of the road guy, maybe I bench pressed a hundred pounds or something like that. Not even sure what yeah. my bench press is, right? And then there could be an incredibly strong man, right? Standing next to me. And it's kind of obvious to all of us who's the strong guy and who's not the strong guy. But mm -hmm. like from God's 20,000 foot view, you know, or hundred thousand foot or eternal view, the guy who yeah. moves galaxies and cosmoses and shapes things and things like this, right? Yeah. Um, he does not going to see a big difference in strength there. Yeah. Right. And in virtue, yeah. it's kind of the same way in a way. Like God is perfect. We're all so darn fall short of it that yeah. in a way from that view, it's not so obvious what's going. It's not, you know, glaring the difference, you know, and yeah. that's kind of the yeah. humility of the saints yeah. is that they're focused on you know, God, and they see the fall short and they don't see themselves as that much greater than their neighbor because they're focused on God's point of view, not on our point yeah. of view of like, you're a nun. This is a prostitute, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, like the phrase, this used to be popular years ago, but for the grace of God, there go I, like, I don't feel like I hear that being articulated very much, you know, right. and I think it's one of the challenges of like our missionaries to sort of understand that um, when, you know, we're encountered with, you know, some of the dysfunction and, you know, issues. Um, well, let's transition right. that to this pop culture idea, because I think that, you know, for a long time, I was hearing the word moral signaling to always be like about progressives. Yeah. You know, uh -huh. like. They're virtue signaling. They're always like showing yeah. how great they are by doing these things and posting them on social mm -hmm. media, right? Yeah. But like right now we're in a moment of like kind of conservative virtue signaling. Like a woman who wears a long dress might look on a woman yeah. who wears a knee high dress or, you know, yeah. are you wearing, you know, the thing on your head during mass or not? Or are you like, yeah. you're, you're, there's a whole lot of, there's a lot of rosaries going out on Instagram right now. <laughs> and this goes into our uh, cultural moment. Thing where we need to let's talk about where we are in the culture and whether or not we're in an abusive relationship with pop culture. I think we are in an abusive relationship with pop culture, and th that that implies some things that we need to do to counteract that. Yeah. How about we start with Tim Dillon? Tim Dillon. All right, Tim Dillon. Uh, Tim Dillon is a I would call him a gay conservative. He would hate to be called conservative, but he kind of is. He's kind of with a bunch of other gay conservatives like Douglas Murray, Glenn Greenwald. Dave Rubin, at some level, yeah. Milo Yiannopoulos was one, too. He's kind of fallen off. I don't know what happened to him. But they were kind of had this moment after Trump's election where they yeah. were speaking better sense on the conservative like side. Like they were the only people talking sense. Yeah. Right, right. And it was <laughs> yeah. weird. It was like I felt like it almost had to do with their gayness that they were able to do it. It was like they had already yeah. been socially outcast because they're older gay men, they've already experienced yeah. social outcastness that they had already kind of conquered the fear of it. 
you know? Yeah. So like, yeah. whereas like Republicans were kind of afraid to deal with the Trump thing yeah. um, for getting socially outcast. These guys were speaking, you know, very clearly right. and well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Tim Dillon, a stand-up comedian, loves to say outrageous things. That's the point of his life, basically. Um, <laughs> that and to love God, which we have to catch him up with. But Long Islander, native. He's on the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah. And um, Ben tried to clean it up for our audience. He took out some of the swear words. It's just like a long string of beeps, though, but you'll get the point. <laughs> okay. All right, let's play that. It's like you could see he's saying the green grass is coming through the snow. Yes, all like, the cool kids now are unwoke. Some of them are going back to Christianity because it's the only way to be rebellious. <laughs> because, you know, everybody's blue-haired, non-binary, talking about And that's like, <laughs> it's the cover of Newsweek. So you, you have to be like a Catholic, Opus Dei, you know, like doing sing the rosary to be... Uh, a problem now. Yeah. Like, you used to be able to just dye your hair and get a tattoo and a nose ring. Now that's like, oh, what are you running for Congress? So now the other side of it is a lot of people are kind of going, which is there's elements of that that are good, and there's elements of that that are not great probably, but, you know, that's what young kids are doing now because they're like, they're like, we, they've realized that how empty this current world is that we've created spiritually for people because yeah. it is empty it is empty. she's very empty it's about money and profit and everything has no history or tradition or there's no there nobody everything's so disorienting things happen so quickly that the pace of change is like making people go what the f and people need to situate themselves in the universe and they don't know how to do it and they're going, dude, I'm like, this rock is spinning. And I don't know what's going on. And every day there's a new edict about what you can say, what's real and what's not. And people are going back to things that root them. And one of them is religion. And I think religion has a lot of positives. I mean, there's some negatives, but I think religion has positives for sure. It's definitely a good moral scaffolding for a lot of people. You need something to ground you, make you humble, make you realize that... You are living for a finite amount of time on earth. You should treat people with respect. There's co a code is good to have a moral code. I'm not saying what yours should be or not, but just the constant stuffing money down your throat, having tons of meaningless sex, you know, constantly obsessing over material things. These are probably ultimately spiritually empty things. Definitely. Yeah. All right, let's summarize what he just did, and then let's summarize these other signposts in this social moment. Mm -hmm. um, Tim is saying that the youngest people in our society, in order to be punk rock, are becoming Catholic, and they're not just becoming Catholic. Yeah, they're like becoming like Opus Dei traditionalist Catholics, uh, is what he says. Right? right, they have to be radically Catholic. They can't be vanilla yeah. Catholic. They have to be like extremely Catholic, right? Yeah. Which part of our whole point is that Extremely Catholic means extremely normal, extremely with God, extremely in relationship. It doesn't mean a lot of symbols, right? Yeah. All right. New York Times then publishes an article. I'll say the name of it, but I think Laura is the one who wants to summarize it. Yeah. Uh, the hottest night club in New York City is... Catholicism. I don't actually remember the title right, of the, the title. article, but... <laughs> Sorry. The title is the hottest nightclub in New York City is the Catholic Church. 
The Catholic Church, yeah. Basically, there's like kind of a growing number of like long skirt wearing, MAGA hat wearing chatties in New York City. Um, and there's like all these different kind of conservative trends. But the one that stands out the most is like the number of people taking up Catholicism. And this is like, uh, I, I realized while reading this article that like the conversion of Brooklyn is like old, like the Brooklyn people the hipsters, like they're old, right? So this is like a new group of people. Um, and um, there's like a thing that people seem to be attracted to the like aesthetic, the artistic part of the church um, and sort of the transgressive nature of the church. Um, and they feel like it's kind of like a way to stick it to the man. Um, more deeply, there's like a sense like it's like the sort of red pill idea that people feel like they were raised to like have good jobs and careers and that's at odds with the deepest longing of their hearts you know which might be a family a husband being a mom wife or you know other way around but yeah so the article kind of talks about this and it talks about how maybe for some people it's kind of a pose you know or it talks about maybe it's larping you know but the the larping for those old people who listen to our podcast is yeah. live action role playing it means like you're playing pretend it's not coming from an authentic place yeah um but i guess there was a sense in the article and i think that there's some right i agree with this it's like it's if you larp it well enough it might become real you know <laughs> and and that people feel like this is happening but the the there's a sort of um this overlaps with the tim dillon's comments like people want restraint and meaning in their lives and it's like <laughs> there's nothing um offering that other than religion and tim dylan had the exact same point observation yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and then and then we have shy shia, shia labeouf shia, shia labeouf okay yeah now he gave a great uh you know interview talk with bishop Barron. it was released this month in august 2022 and a lot of people found that pretty cool pretty moving you know i i want to yeah like i i thought it was like mostly edifying and it seems like he's had like real conversion real prayer moments that have been really powerful but i want to warn about this i want to warn about this generally with everything we're talking about right now yeah. that like i learned this through ministry like we deal with a lot of mentally ill people mm -hmm. right and with mentally ill people they are fairly desperate and when they talk to you they could tell you that you are the best Christian they've ever met, that you have changed their life, that you, you know, are more meaningful to them than their parents or something, right? And then a week later, a day later, an hour later, they can cuss you out. They can tell yeah. you that you're not a you're real Christian, yeah. that you're on the grift and exploiting yeah. poverty. They could tell you anything yeah. they can to hurt you yeah. and tear you down, right? Yeah. Some people, unfortunately, have like, this and their parents, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is not everyone. Everyone's had met someone like this, be it like a bad ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend or whatever. You've all met someone that mentally unstable, right? It's not rare, you know? Yeah. Um, schizophrenics do it maybe at the most extreme, but a lot of people have this bad way of riding this roller yeah. coaster, right? And the thing is, is like, if I have a good friend, like Laura, you and I are friends and we've known each other a long time. And mm -hmm. I believe that you're mentally healthy, right? If you are disappointed in me or sad about me or tell something hard to me, I'm going to take it very seriously. Yeah. 
if you give me a compliment, I take it seriously too. Yeah. Right? But when you're dealing with someone who's not stable, you cannot take the insult seriously. You also cannot take the compliment seriously. If you take the compliment seriously, you will take the insult seriously. Like if you have a bad relationship with a parent or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, and they're like buttering you up, you cannot allow yourself to get buttered up. Yeah. You know, or when they get negative, you're going to, you have to actually distance yourself emotionally yeah. from that, you know? Yeah. Cause they, they don't behave logically emotionally. Therefore it's not logical to engage them at yeah. that level. Right. You can't ride the roller coaster up if you're not willing to ride it down. Right. Yeah. Um, and pop culture is like this a little bit. Like we're yeah. going to get persecuted yeah, and we're going to get loved up. Yeah. I don't think you should try to feel a lot of satisfaction when it's like, oh, wow, Shia LaBeouf. Now he's. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think we can rejoice, right, <laughs> for uh, like Sinner, you know, coming yeah, I, home. And I think we can know also he's likely going to fall again, like all of us sinners do, you know, and, um, yeah, like, I think we can be happy for him and pray for him. I also think it's like you take it with a grain of salt because he has a history of being like very unstable. <laughs> right. Um, and his yeah. history is kind of wild. Like I just, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Like if you, if you look up like plagiarism, if you look up, uh, the best part of his history is his feud with this, uh, anonymous group called 4chan. Uh, that's, that's the most entertaining part of his history, but it's yeah, a other... very unstable history. Right. And, yeah. and even the stuff he's admitting he did wrong is not the complete amount of stuff he's done wrong. Right. Yeah. And what yeah. we've also found in ministry is that when people convert and they have a decade plus of sin or problems, it takes like a decade to get it right. You know, yeah. you don't expect yeah. an overnight or even a one year conversion. It's, it's kind of, and there's also something where like, in Alcoholics Anonymous, I've heard the old timers say that you never let someone with one year of sobriety speak. Yeah. Because yeah. they believe that they're lying. Yeah. You know, meaning like they're not yet based in reality enough to be right. teaching and, and anybody. They're, jo they're enjoying, um, I think this is like a kind of dangerous, it's like uh, you have a great sinner converts who's popular or whatever, and they get a lot of attention. And it's like that attention it can uh, sort of encourage something other than is not faith. Like it can encourage this kind of false piety or something, you know, yeah, well, whenever um, you feel. Yeah. Whenever your faith, whenever popularity or social acceptance is associated with greater faith, there's a danger there. Yeah. You know, because yeah. there's a danger that you've got mixed motives. Yeah. But so Shia LaBeouf, am I saying it right? I'm sorry. Shia LaBeouf. I, Shia LaBeouf. I said it right. Okay. Yeah. Um, He's the new Britney Spears. So Britney Spears converted last summer. I, She's widely yeah. known to be incredibly unstable. We hope the best for her. It didn't create great waves when she converted, yeah. but it did make the newspaper, right? Yeah. This is a new situation like this in my mind, right? And at best, he's kind of a Flannery O'Connor Dostoevsky figure, like mm -hmm. someone who's got serious flaws, but also serious insight. I think Mel Gibson could be thought of this way. He's got the passion of Christ that Mel Gibson and Shia LaBeouf are also very good friends according yeah. to that podcast but like mel gibson's got the passion of christ and then after the passion of christ he's got this um crazy just just do <laughs> research mel gibson phone call on google and you will yeah. have something that it, shakes it, you like, like he's demonically totally possessed abusive and insane yeah. yeah i don't even want to go over it and we're not trying yeah. to judge i think the most charitable yeah. way to judge it is they're like dostoevsky characters right yeah. and 
It just means don't get on a high with it. Right. Yeah, I I think the the thing I like about them is like I think Shia LaBeouf was like outcast everywhere, and the Catholic Church is like we will take your dregs, society. <laughs> and I love that. Um, but I also think like we can't. Um, <clears throat> there's a thing that we want to be like. Ooh, is this celebrity Catholic? Ooh, is this celebrity Catholic? And it's like we want to prop ourselves up, or it's like like confirmation bias, right? Um, like we want to feel good that like oh we're on the right side because look this celebrity is Catholic or something, or it's like a kind of way of showing that the Catholic Church is winning or something like that. And then something happens where the celebrity does something wrong or maybe attends like a pride march which happened you know and people are like upset um there are some mature catholic celebrities that still have problems but then there's also yeah. people who are just clearly mentally unstable yeah you know yeah. and and that's kind of this case but let's kind of go on from that to talk about this other thing that's happening because i think we need to tie all these things together to try yeah. to explain what's happening right now Somebody sent us an email, a friend of the podcast, showing tons and tons of Instagram photos of <laughs> guns wrapped in rosaries. All right. This is a thing. All right. I have a sense, like as someone who looks at it, I look at it and I was like immediately shocked. I don't think they're doing it for shock value. Are these like uh, Second Amendment people or like gangsters? Who are they? Second Amendment people. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's like, if you think of like kind of LA gangs or whatever, uh, sure. or I don't know, like Hispanic gangs, the rosary has been, you know. <laughs> yeah, like the drug um, cartels use a lot of Catholic yeah. religious stuff also. But yeah, uh, I don't, that's not what this is. What this that's is, is, this is. Okay. people trying to embrace masculinity and masculinity and their spirituality. And they see it as harmonious to say, I pray the rosary as a weapon and here's my other weapon, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's a little odd it's partic uh, to most people. And The Atlantic just published an article saying the rosary has become a symbol of like the alt-right or a symbol like of an extremism. Extremist. Yeah. Right? And that's kind of, that can be true and dumb at the same time. Yeah. You know, meaning like it could be that there are some people throwing it around like it's a symbol. They're morally signaling with it. But it's also dumb to say something that's a thousand, you know, or 800 years old is yeah. um, not way deeper than some extremist symbol. So I think the Atlantic has like no freaking clue how many people pray the rosary, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. kind of know what the social media vibe is, but mm -hmm. I do think they do know that. Yeah. That's where I think Tim Dillon is on it too. I don't think Tim yeah. Dillon really knows the heart of Catholicism, but I yeah. do think he knows what the vibe is. Yeah. You know, he did. He, he, I think he like uh, comes from an Irish Catholic background, by the way, but yeah. Right. I, that, I think your statement um, still stands, but yeah. So now let's talk <clears throat> about like, how do we like think of all this all together? I think that the part of the left that is usually labeled as the progressive part of the left kind of controls discourse a lot. Right. Yeah. And it's at the same time showing itself to be very bankrupt and contradicting some even basic natural laws. Right. Yeah. Like just like they never act like heterosexual marriage is actually a really good thing, you know? Yeah. Or that family is, in fact, really important, not just for yeah. individuals and their happiness, but even for society. You know, yeah. like there's just basic truths. Um, even abortion is an example that they don't seem to honor, you know. Yeah. And yeah. the youth are kind of like discovering this, like the Gen Z's, mm -hmm. right? And 
in discovering that, that's what they, I think, are calling a red pill moment. Like, they're like, yeah. whoa, you know, I'm getting lied to constantly. It's like a conspiracy, dude, you know? Yeah. And then when you look around, you're like, what's the most radical way to be anti this? And it's like Catholicism. Because we've been yeah. saying these yeah. things for, you know, longer than this empire has been around, longer than the last yeah. empire was around, <laughs> longer than, you know, like for millennia, you know? Yeah. So in a way, Catholicism is getting a lot of credit and people are identifying with it, but that's kind of different than the core of conversion and evangelization, yeah. you know? And yeah. it's not wrong. Like, like Shia LaBeouf may, because of that podcast, force a couple thousand more people to enter a Catholic church, right? And a couple of those people might stick and really have deep conversions, right? Yeah. And really grow the yeah. faith that way. And I think yeah. that's why Bishop Barron... I think Bishop Barron interviewed him partly to show us what evangelization is because Shia yeah. LaBeouf talks about the friars he interacted with and how that worked. But yeah. he also did it to just like help the vibe a little bit and get more people into the church, you know? Yeah. So it's a net good, usually, I think. But for people who are more mature... I, I want to just make a distinction, though, and I think this is kind of what you're getting at. Like, I think Shia LaBeouf like, talks about, and I hope it is authentic like kind of being welcomed into community and really experiencing moments in prayer in the eucharist that were really moving and like giving himself over to god and letting go like i think that's like the authentic thing and you want more of that and that's different from like maybe the vibe of this sort of red pill thing that you're like into the catholic church for the sort of political or i would agree i also don't yeah. think that the way we just described that really describes anyone in a sense like we've kind of too trivialized what their conversion is um yeah but there yeah. is this like background to it you know what i mean yeah yeah but i i guess like i i know that the new york times article sort of visited the theme of posing and larping just because it's like <laughs> a way to be transgressive you know and is it authentic or is it not authentic and i i don't want to examine anybody's but i i do think it's like it has to be right just always reminding you know having in mind it has to be more than the sort of like culture war winning idea or anything like that right and um maybe there's some people that are kind of high on the culture war stuff or the transgressive thing and they need to be brought into the deeper I, yeah i think ultimately yeah. we're not in a culture war meaning like there is right. a culture war yeah. happening but we have a we need to have a positive vision and there is nothing stopping you right now from enacting that vision. The progressives aren't mm -hmm. stopping you, the government's yeah. not stopping you. You are to enact the, your vision of the kingdom on earth right now, period. Yeah. Right? And it's a yeah. positive vision. It's not an anti gay rights vision. Yeah. And, and it's but it's a vision a vision that like promotes and is streaming from like being in relationship with God. Right. So yeah. part of the reason why this new traditionalism is related to this is because it's seen as the most opposed, like the most radically different than the progressivism, mm -hmm. right? And the mainstream church, I'm going to say, including myself, which I think the mainstream church is the church, has a fault. And it's a fault that I'm like trying to weed out of myself. And mm -hmm. I think this fault is kind of like from the night, I think it's as old as the 19th century, like the 1800s, where it's like, like, like if we had two people, walk, if we had, if we, if in the middle ages, a man walked in dressed as a knight with a sword and he said, I want to be a monk, but I want to be a knight too. They'd be like, 
Sure. There's the Knights of Templar. There's the Hospitaliers. There's probably even another order I can't even think of that you can go join. Go be a knight and go be a monk at the same time, right? Mm. If a man right now comes in, looks like a special operations guy with his, you know, um, AR-15 or whatever and says, I want to be a monk and I want to be a soldier too. We'd be like, dude, you are missing everything, right? Like there's just like no place for that guy, right? Yeah. And the truth is probably in between the Middle Ages and now. Like the reality of the way we should be is probably we don't need to bring the Knights of Templars back. But we need to like act like that guy can really be holy, really be a saint and really be a soldier. Right. Yeah. And there's this part of the masculinity that we've like taken away and you see all these different groups trying to recreate masculinity and it looks like LARPing, you know, like these groups that are going to train you how to be a man now. The art of manliness. Smoke cigars and drink whiskey. Yeah. Right. Or you get tactical, which is where you're like got all these different gadgets on you that are like, like the real men I've known in my life had grease on them, were dirty, were very strong, were very patient, were very protective, were kind of amazing guys. And they didn't do anything tactical, you know, they didn't have any, like, like the guy who carries a pocket knife to the office. It's like, yeah, I want that guy to just admit he likes knives. Not that try to convince me that. It's so useful at the office. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You'll never know when you need it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Use it once every two weeks in a really great way. But is it worth carrying every day for that? Or just to go to the drawer and get one out of the drawer, you know? Um, so there's this acknowledgement that we've lost masculinity in faith. And what I mean by that is like, we act like the pacifist is like a perfection of faith. Like yeah. someday if we were all good enough, we'd all be pacifists. Yeah. Or someday we'll all be vegans. Like it's just a matter of time before, because vegans obviously, right. They're just kind of ahead of their time. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's wrong. It's not right. It's not that Christians are meant to be pacifists, Right. Just because yeah. the Desert Fathers or St. Francis was never going to like take up arms again because he took a religious mm-hmm. vocation is not the same thing as pacifism. You yeah. know, having, yeah. you know, your priest go into battle and not carrying a gun, but just going there to serve the spiritual needs of the soldiers is not the same thing yeah. as saying that the higher holiness is pacifism. Yeah. You know, so there's a way in which we are not giving men models that are saintly and masculine, we're kind of acting like they need to become more effeminate, kind of like a, an English gentleman who would never yeah. defend himself. It's always turned the other cheek. And I, I noticed that like when I was single, this kind of worked for me, like being a pacifist worked because like maybe I would defend a child who's getting abused if I walked in on it. But besides that, yeah. there wasn't like an obvious time I needed to be violent, you know? Yeah. But now that I'm a parent of five barbarians, <laughs> But I also have to worry about my five barbarians getting hit, you know, being threatened by outside forces or whatever, right? I have a very different masculinity than I did when I was single. Yeah. You know, and I have to confront things and I have to stop things and I have to protect things and I have to take precautions. And um, somehow I think we as a mainstream church have lost or are doing something unhealthy there. And this is why your brother started Estovir back in the day. Well, he yeah, right. He started it. He brought it to a school from CUA. But right. And I, I think. Because they um, knew something was missing. Well, and I, I think it also explains the popularity of Pierre Giorgio Fassati, who 
I love, but like Ryan and I always make fun of like, oh, you named another college group after Peter Giorgio Fasati, but. Well, they're doing what I'm doing with Flannery. I'm saying Flannery is the message we need today. And they're saying Fasati is right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's kind of what these, the point of naming things is, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Yeah. But we need more of it because Fasati is like a guy that appeals to a certain group of people, you know? Right. And so we we need we need more modern male saints. <laughs> yeah. So where are we going with this? Yeah. So the church does need to. I think that part of this was. I think this is why guys like um, I don't really I hate calling these guys out, but like Gaffigan and um, who's the guy who does the late shows? Catholic. Um, um, Stephen Colbert. Yeah, I think yeah. that they're part of something that I see. I saw it in myself. They've too identified a certain type of liberalism with Catholicism, you know, yeah. like maybe they're pro-life and that's good, but yeah. they think that this whole, like, just, you know, more and more rights, more and more, you know, considerations for everyone is actually going to create the best society. And that's just never been the case. And yeah. we're getting to a really weird moment in our culture. We need to have a different podcast on this at some point where uh, Christianity is like, like progressivism defines itself almost as like a 1960s rebellion against the man. Right. But progressivism is the man. It you is know, the man today. Yeah. The only way to rebel is to be against progressivism actually. Right. Yes. And Catholicism and Christianity in general is definitely not the man anymore. Right. Like you're not punching up. If you attack Christianity, you're punching yeah. down. Right. Yeah. And usually we let people who are down punch up. Right. So yeah, you're getting to a point where Christianity is going to start punching up and that could be ugly and could be bad for Christianity too. But like, you're also going to get that way with like the way they're framing the racial discourse. You're going to get yeah. white people who are proud of being white because they've yeah. been, they're getting punched, you know, yeah. and yeah. it's going to get bad, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, we need to talk about that. We plan on doing a critical race theory episode in the future. Mm -hmm. So what else do you have to say, Laura? Should we round this one up? Yeah, I think we should round this one up. All right. Great. <laughs> God bless. Please like, share, and um, give us feedback. Thank you for listening to the Simpleton Podcast, the most popular podcast in eternity. <laughs> we saw the rankings. That's how we know.